Today on the Golf Exposed podcast, President and CEO of Great Life Golf, John Brown, gives a brief state of the industry address and then outlines several ways that golf course owners and operators can become more efficient and build consistency through what we like to call the Great Life Golf Operational Playbook. Welcome back to the Golf Exposed Podcast. Welcome to the Golf Exposed Podcast. It is nonstop trash stuff. I'm supposed to be pros here. I would be barefooted, drunk, playing golf. Golf Exposed Podcast. But it wasn't talked about like it is now. We got our kick. Where we give you the good, the bad, and the truth about golf business, betting, and stories. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Golf Exposed podcast. It has been a few weeks since we have joined you on the show, and we are excited to be back here. Our president, our CEO at Great Life Golf, John Brown, is about to join us. But, John, our commander-in-chief just gave the State of the Union address. You're a line dog-faced pony soldier. So before we get down to brass tacks today, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the state of our industry, your industry, the golf industry. Would that be all right with you? That sounds great, Jordan. Let's do that. So we have the Full Swing docuseries coming out on Netflix in a few days. If you're going to be a professional golfer, you have to accept the fact that it's just going to be a wild ride. The Live has secured a television deal and continues to pillage the PGA roster. Hey, this is Dustin Johnson, captain of the Four Aces. We have one-year bands getting thrown around. We got our game's young stars at each other's throats. We got some Twitter beefs. Now, Live Golf versus the PGA Tour. It's the latest exchange, and this is going to be going on for quite some time. Is golf becoming cool again, John? Full Swing is a show I cannot wait to watch the behind-the-scenes. Awesome. We should just do our podcast on the Full Swing episodes moving forward because I am so pumped about watching the behind-the-scenes. I think you'll get to know these guys, especially the guys they're showcasing on the show, and America is going to like them for more than just being great golfers, great personalities as well. I probably will binge watch that. So you said in a few episodes previously to this that the live is good for golf because it gets people talking. Of course, there might be some detriments to the PGA. We can talk about that at another time. I don't think they make this show and it becomes as topical and relevant and as interesting to both golf enthusiasts and people that are casual to the industry without the live coming into fruition. Would you agree? There's probably more acceptance around it. You're probably right. Absolutely. I think the PGA Tour players realize they have a responsibility to really showcase who they are, their personalities, to really elevate the PGA Tour. And I think they see the live as a competitor out there. And when I say the live is better for golf, I'm not saying it's better for tournament golf. I'm not a tournament golf player. It's better for a guy who operates golf courses that people are just talking about golf in general. So, But I do think it's an exciting environment right now for sure. I've been at some of the club level properties recently and I'm observing a few things about what I would call someone who's more like myself a novice the average golfer some of these guys are pretty good some are not he's good you're not I'm better than him you're worse <laughs> much much worse but that's beside the point so some things I'm noticing and that I think correlates to the state of the industry John I'm seeing a lot of people driving around they have their Bluetooth speakers. They have casual decor, kind of like I'm wearing right now, but all of this hoodie was well overpriced. Is that becoming a norm in the industry? Is it becoming a more relaxed, casual thing? Or is it still a traditionalist game and these people are sort of breaking away from the norm at some clubs? They weren't disrespectful. They weren't dressed like transient hobos. It's not like that. 
just more casual, more grounded would be what I'm looking for. In the daily fee environment, without a doubt, that's where it's trending. I mean, 15 years ago, if you had a cell phone on a golf course, everybody would be looking at you sideways, right? Yeah, you used to call me on my cell phone. Now everybody has a cell phone playing their music with their speakers, enjoying a cigar or beer. Stogies? Yeah, why not? Laughing, bantering, having a good time. Some golf courses even have very much relaxed the dress codes. So there's no doubt there's a shift, especially in that band of club. There is still obviously the traditional clubs, which you're always going to find the high-end private equity clubs in any market that keep to tradition. And there's a place for that for sure. So, And that's really why Great Life has four brands, right? Because there's no two clubs that are identical and and our brands really bucket those clubs into the avenue that makes sense for the market and the type of facility it is and those are great customers as well so so let's get down to business in my travels i am going to a lot more of the great life golf club properties, the portfolio, whatever you want to call it. I'm on site a lot more these days. I'm noticing a lot of things, getting to know a lot of people. So my question to you is, how do you build consistency in creating a great experience for a golfer from a golf operations standpoint? It's a great question, Jordan. Multiple ways to do that. I'll give one way we do it. I think this can help. It's very simple, but it helps build consistency in your operation. We have a color-coordinated opening and closing checklist for our outside golf staff. This is a checklist that's red on one side, green on one side. So when an opening shift employee comes in in the morning, we have our checklist is turned on the red side with a stop sign that says stop. 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 It has the checklist items that need to be completed. And once those items are completed for the morning shift, they turn over the checklist on to the green side, which has a big sign that says go and says you're ready for the day. And it helps build consistency in what we're doing every morning when we open our shop. And then we have the exact same process at the end of the evening for whenever we're closing our golf operations. This ensures from a consistency standpoint that our range always looks the same, that our carts are treated the same. Uh, that we have a complete understanding of what's happening related to the T-sheet. There's multiple items within the checklist, but the reason we built it is because I wanted someone who was there for one week versus someone who's there for five years to be doing the same exact thing in the morning and the evening. So the golfer's experience was identical whether they came on a Tuesday or Saturday. Very simple, but the color-coordinated component of it is the difference. Colors, colors, colors. Once you see red, you're set, you know you're not ready for the day. Once you see green, you know you've taken responsibility. You're accountable for making sure those morning standards were done and you're ready for the day. So that, that's how we've done it. So I've been pulling that information. That question even just came from looking at and browsing the operational playbook. It was sort of your brainchild, but obviously everyone in the company had some sort of say in it. And that was something that you felt you needed to implement moving forward as Great Life continues to grow. And it's packed full of very, very valuable information. But how do you make sure that everybody gets on the same page and is following everything that you've laid out? Because it's all there. Uh, you literally wrote the handbook, but now you have to implement it and make everybody on the same page. So how do you ensure that that happens? Well, that's the culture that we've built inside Great Life, obviously. We've got a great team of executives, but our regional management team, you know, each regional manager has eight to 10 clubs. They're really the responsible party for pulling together their key department directors, installing the operational playbook, and then obviously the accountability is us monitoring the performance of if the playbook's installed. And the playbook's there for one reason, consistency. 
break down briefly just what are the top bullet points in the in the playbook. Obviously, golf operations is the biggest one. Uh, maybe not the biggest one because they're all important for different reasons. They all need to work cohesively. But if you had to give a summary of what each one actually entails for the layman or for somebody who just sort of has to have some sort of frame of reference, go over the category, so to speak. Well, the playbook titles, we have golf operations, uh, inside golf operations. There's everything from tee sheet management to, to golf back to standard procedures, merchandise management, player development. Then we have marketing. Then we have membership. Then we have agronomy, which obviously is fundamentally important, food and beverage, accounting and finance, and human resources. Those are the key areas. And then within that, there's obviously many subtitles, but that's our operational playbook. It's the foundational tool we use to build consistency and set expectations inside Great Life. A lot of these things seem like they should be standing operating standard operating procedure across the board. And maybe that's just because I've been around you and this team more than any other golf company, of course. Where did you compile all this information from? Is it years of experience in your field doing what you do and what you have done? Um, we don't want to detract from anybody else, but are you seeing where people are sort of going wrong in their operations? You're like, oh, we can tighten this up here. Because, I mean, things that may seemingly be a very small, minute detail could really add up to major dividends in the long run. This was a fire got lit underneath us as we were talking about the merger possibilities with Great Life Golf and Fitness and Brown Golf. And a lot of this information was already inside Brown Golf, but it wasn't organized in a way that I thought we could effectively deploy it to bring on 27 courses once we merged. And so that really set uh, myself and PJ Politan and a bunch of other of our executive inside Brown Golf down a path of, all right, we got to organize this information so that it can be easily understood and then implemented very quickly in our operations. The brainchild of that is, is this playbook. All right, John, I'm browsing the operational playbook as we speak, and I'm looking at the merch management section and what the hell does inventory management ratio mean? Is that like just like keeping track of stuff? We call it our inventory turn ratio. And basically it's how often your inventory sells through in the course of a year. So for example, if a golf course has $30,000 in merchandise. Hands off the merchandise! If they end the year with $150,000 of sales and $90,000 of cost, you've basically sold through that $30,000 three times over. As you will find in multivariable calculus, there's often a, a number of solutions for any given problem. That would be a three to one inventory turn ratio. That is a good quality ratio to let you know that you're not having to discount your product, that you're moving your product, and you can achieve your top margins with a quality inventory turn ratio. If your inventory turn ratio starts slowing down, meaning you're selling through your inventory balance at a slower rate, maybe only one or one and a half times a year, you're going to have to start discounting that inventory to really move it, therefore impacting your cost of goods and impacting your overall margin. So we look for a three to one inventory turn ratio. The easiest way to look at it is pull your last financial, what was on your balance sheet as far as your inventory in your golf shop, then look at your last 12 months of cost of goods in your pro shop merchandise. What is the difference there? Is it a three to one ratio? Then you're operating efficiently. I'll get an education today. When you take a new item and put it in the pro shop, what kind of research do you do or how do you decide what actually goes in there? Because that seems like it could be a tedious process because if you listen to the average golf course goer, they're going to say, oh, you should really have this and then never buy it. 
we have about 50% of our shops are with strategic partners that we've built, you know, company wide. And then the other 50 is really the on-site head golf professionals opportunity to put their thumbprint on what they think makes sense as far as an offering for their clientele. That's really the mix of what we do. So you could have a huge cigar display in one golf shop and maybe the other golf shop cigars don't make sense, right? So it really depends on the clientele. But yeah, we do leave our head golf professionals some flexibility to put in the shop what they think will move. But ultimately, that three to one ratio, everyone's held accountable to that. And so if if I am on site and I jack a six pack of golf balls, are you going to notice it? Absolutely. We'll notice it. Sure. <laughs> Jimmy has these awesome massage guns at Orange Lake. And I was like, those things are so cool. He's like, that's what everyone says. I've sold one in a year. Yeah, yep, yep, exactly. <laughs> but that's why you get, you know, a program like that, those massage guns we have on wheels, which means you can return the ones that you don't sell. So, you know, there's strategies around some of those unique offerings too. I hear you talk about tea sheet management almost ad nauseum on this show, in the office, at dinner gatherings. It's like, give it a rest. <laughs> So you're talking about that all the time. All right. What is one area that you can tell us about T-sheet management that an operator could implement at their club? Well, you're asking me all the questions. So let me ask you one, Jordan. Why do you think I care so much about T-sheet management? It has to be one of the most dynamic ways that you could generate revenue at a club. It's probably also one of the most, it's a living, breathing organism that needs to be attended to daily to really optimize, I would think too. Wow, you've really been listening. Even the sun shines on the dog's ass some days. It's all about optimizing revenue. That's what yeah. it is. T-sheet management is about optimizing revenue. So there's many strategies around T-sheet management and to give you just one, all right, I'll give you one that I think is essential. A daily review of your T-sheet where you're really analyzing the first 15 minutes of your day, the last 15 minutes of your day. Is there an opportunity for your T-sheet to open earlier? Can you pair any twosomes and move singles into book threesomes? That creates another open tea time that you can sell. Are you contacting groups 48 hours out to confirm player counts? I mean, that's such a huge mistake. Just because a group says they're going to bring 24, can you confirm they're bringing 24? Because if you have 24 in there and they show up with 16, you just lost the ability to sell eight more rounds of golf. Is there an opportunity for squeeze times somewhere on your T-sheet where you might be able to fit in an additional time whenever you're busy? Is there an opportunity to consider a double T in the future? A double T really creates more opportunity for revenue and premium windows. You get more players out on the golf course at a time that they would like to go out on the golf course. Or is there an opportunity for looking at things like sunrise nines where you you have a group going off one, but you also have uh, nine whole rounds going off the back nine at the beginning of the day? There's so many areas that you can review, but it's a daily review. Ask yourself this question. Am I optimizing the T-sheet? Do I understand the rates that are booked into my T-sheet? Do I understand the inventory being used? And did we achieve our optimal results? Do a daily review. You'll get better. If you take a tee time that is booked for a twosome and you turn it into a foursome and it's two people who, well, it's four people who don't know each other per se, do you have to inform them or ask them permission or can you just smash them in there? For the most part, you can just go ahead and group them. And that's really the the culture around our clubs. Now, there's some facilities which they're a little bit more protective of doing that. If you're at a certain dollar threshold, you might want to take the steps of letting the customer know. But I think you do that through the booking process, meaning if you book a twosome, 
uh, online, you inform the guests that they could be uh, paired with another twosome based off of uh, how busy the golf course is that day. You got to communicate. All right, John, we all know that you could have the best product, the best service, the best golf club, if you will, in the entire world. But if no one knows you're on the shelves or no one knows you exist, you ain't got nothing. So with that said, looking forward and looking into marketing, is there any strategy that Great Life Golf is looking to implement as far as marketing goes in 2023 and beyond? There is. I used to see you what, last year, like one day a week, maybe. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And now I'm going to see you how often? Way, way more than you're well accustomed to. <laughs> That's right, right? <laughs> so we've made the commitment inside Great Life to hire a digital media uh, marketing manager, which is Jordan, obviously my podcast uh, host. And our strategies all around hiring Jordan are about content development and then deployment of content to elevate the brands through automated features in social media and email marketing, correct? That's pretty much it. Um, I like to call it digital storytelling. You and I have talked about that. So when we go down there, we're not just saying, okay, here's some pictures of the course and here's a promo code for a discount. We do all that. We have to, but it's really about getting to know the staff, getting to know the players that are there. We put the staff and the players who are actually enjoying the course on camera, let them tell the story of the club and why they like it. So I think it's pretty innovative. It's it's not all together a new concept per se, but I don't I haven't seen it done a lot in golf. The, my favorite section is when the golf professional plays a hole and you tape the golf professional playing a hole and then giving the strategies around the hole. My question for you, and I hate to put anybody on the spot, but how many clips does it take you before our golf professionals actually hit a fairway and then hit a green and maybe make a birdie? At the time of this recording, we did our first one with Jimmy Bilski at Orange Lake, and he actually, this it was going to look staged, but that's why we film everything, and I come back with 12 hours of footage. He knocked the first shot about an inch or two off the green onto the fringe, and he said, if you're going to miss on this hole, miss long and to the right. And he missed long and to the right by a few inches, and it was like arguably a blueprint shot for what he described, and it almost looked fake, but he actually nailed it. Um, so... I'd like to think that all of the great life pros are of that caliber. We'll have to wait and see. We got a lot coming up, but a few other things took several takes, but that one, he, Jimmy nailed it almost immediately. Well, we've got a lot of great players that work for the company as well who love the game of golf. So I think you're going to get a lot of quality footage, but I think the goal from a marketing standpoint for us, right, is how do you automate the process of delivering content and talking about the brand, the club brand that is. So you're going to see the storytelling, like you're saying, year round, come out through email and through social media marketing. You spend about three days down on site, gathering a ton of content, drone footage, interviews, tutorials, playing lessons, lessons from our pros, obviously playing golf holes. There's so much content. We do MTV crib style, the clubhouses and the amenities, which is wonderful. And you come back, we parse that all down into micro content and we're going to deliver and we're looking forward to seeing the impact of those efforts next season. I feel like you might've known about this whole change in marketing, Jordan. That was a chance to talk about myself um, for that question there. I don't know how to put this, but kind of a big deal but the best part hands down about going to the clubs is meeting the staff and meeting the players and um, I had never met Rick oh Rick Ferrant yeah oh he's one of the owners okay he's so he's an of, owner okay yeah, he's one of my he's the founder of Great <laughs> I don't even, Fitness. so I met so many awesome people down there and I spent most of my time with Lee and with Jason and I got to meet great people I met R Rick for all of about five minutes and he said who, who are you and what do you do I said I'm Jordan I'm going to be kind of like the digital media manager and he, go, and he goes huh yeah you need that shit now. Walked away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, yeah, that's Rick Ferrant. That's uh, the founder of Great Life Golf and Fitness. So, yeah, he was at Orange Lake while you were there, and that sounds about right, yeah. And everybody loves Rick. And yeah. um, Great guy. Yeah, he was awesome. And that was my only interaction with him. I hope to meet him and talk to him more in the future. Yeah, definitely the best part about being on site is meeting the people and building the relationships, too. All right, John, let's ride off into the sunset with arguably the most important thing. And that, of course, comes down to the people, the staff, those who make the company run. And that's at every level, from management to the club level to anything in between. And what are some of the mistakes that you see being made in HR? It's got to be one of the most touchy subjects to hit on anytime there's human emotion involved. Even if we try to take the emotion out of it, we are human at the end of the day. So what are some of the mistakes that you see in HR? Documentation, 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 and and just understanding that every time you're having a performance-based conversation, that you do need to document it, that you do need to report it to whoever the HR contact is, and you do need to build that track record of, you know, we had these conversations, tried to get the employee to meet the certain performance standards that I thought they were missing. I treated them fairly. At some point, for whatever reason, maybe it doesn't work out, uh, but you got to track. So often I see, especially when we go into a new club, there's an employee that maybe a department director isn't thrilled with, and they give you examples of why they don't want the employee to be there anymore, but they've never actually tracked conversations through write-ups, through verbals, even through just an email outlining the discussion that you had and sent it to the HR contact. In the business world, if you have a Fortune 500 company and you don't have trackable incidents like that, then you never have the conversation. And for whatever reason in golf, I don't know if it's kind of the nature of golf and, and the folks that are attracted and become, you know, department directors, there's a little bit more of a casual nature to it, I would say. And if you think you're just having a conversation, that's an easier way to approach an employee improving their performance. You're really doing the employee a disservice and you're doing the club and yourself a disservice and you're just creating exposure. Document, document, document. Any conversation you have about employee performance. Well, John, I think you nailed it. I think that's a, a myriad of valuable information. If people have any questions about what they've heard in the operational playbook or want to get a hold of you, I know you make yourself very accessible despite being on the road and very busy. Are do you still make yourself available because you're running around everywhere these days? Available to anyone who listens to this podcast, sure. Anyone who, who's interested in, in what we're doing or if we have some resources or reporting that might help, I'm available for sure. You know I care about the industry and I care about owners that own golf courses and have to make decisions about achieving a certain profit and loss and then department directors who really strive for excellence. That's you know where I get some motivation from. To get a hold of our president and CEO, John Brown, email jbrown at greatlifegolf.com. Or if you're curious about any of the items that we outline in the operational playbook or anything that Great Life Golf has to offer, visit greatlifegolf.com.